Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. You know, for years I've said that as um, the end of the age approaches, that what is going to be happening in the convergence of upheaval in the culture uh, combined with a powerful um, renewal of the Holy Spirit would result, this convergence would result in the eradication of denominations in the Western church. And it doesn't mean that everything that those denominations believe and hold to would be eradicated. Um, Each denomination has probably uh, an emphasis in the kingdom that is important to the entire body of Christ, but also within each denomination, there are either overreaches or negligence um, that are contained within that denomination's theological position and practices. So I believe the end of the age is going to be such a tumultuous time that what is happening in the culture and what is being released from heaven is going to serve to eradicate denominations. The denominations are a luxury right now because we are in a place where somehow Christians can uh, live with the idea that we can afford to be separated, which I don't believe is a biblical idea, but that's just the way it's been. When all of hell breaks loose on earth, and I mean that literally, when hell comes to fight earth, there's going to be upheaval in the culture, and it's going to be matched with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit from heaven. Denominations are not going to matter anymore. Nobody's going to be um, you know, fleeing persecution saying, by the way, do you immerse or do you, do you sprinkle? Are you a King James only guy or do you use the NIV? By the way, do you believe in the gifts or do you not believe in the gifts? Because when the devil is chasing and persecution comes, uh, those kind of things don't matter anymore. What we see is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are one in the spirit. And so I've, I've believed for, for years and I've preached it for years that um, the, the existence of denominations within Christianity will be um, something that is taken away from us and we will probably by external pressure against the church, will be a people that return to uh, the core pillars and foundation of what it means to be a Christian in America. Um, I'm thinking right now about denominationalism um, because I spent a good part of yesterday uh, dialoguing with people uh, from the Baptist denomination, which, by the way, if you're new to Mavericks and Misfits, is the denomination that I, I, I absorbed as my own in my um, initial years as a believer. I was Baptist, not really by conviction. I was Baptist because the Baptists were the ones who, who got me first. And that's the way it happens with a lot of us. A lot of you um, are in a theological tribe simply because you were somehow either born into that tribe because that's what your uh, parents or guardians were in, or um, when you were saved, the person that led you to Christ was part of that denomination and you became a part of it because you followed the one that led you to Jesus. Um, but very few people explore their denominational beliefs once they are a part of that denomination. And so yesterday, um, I had the privilege of dialoguing with some fiery Baptist guys that are so serious about the word of God, as am I. Um, But they are recognizing here a little bit later in life that um, just being a Bible teacher, a theologically driven Christian, 
having an orthodox belief system. And those things are important, by the way. Um, but they are realizing it's not satisfying the, the yearning of their soul. Um, and it's also not equipping them to, to minister in these stressed and strange days that we're living in post-COVID. Um, these guys are all pastors, um, a couple of them well-known. And um, for whatever reason, the Lord has um, shown me over the last, I don't know, five to seven years that part of my assignment is to help uh, denominational guys, primarily Baptists, but also some Presbyterians and some Reformed guys, um, to help them see their need for the Holy Spirit to be active in their life. And as a Baptist, I always believed in the Holy Spirit. Baptists get a bad rap on that, by the way. Um, you know, I would be classified as a charismatic now. And I would say to fellow charismatics, um, the Baptists have the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit himself is not reduced just to his gifts. So we need to be real kind and humble when we're talking as charismatics and flippantly say things like, well, the Baptists just need the Holy Spirit or the Baptists, um, you know, need to get saved because they don't have the gifts of the Spirit. That's, that's theologically incorrect. And by the way, I would also say it's, it's relationally loveless. Um, w- what I do believe, and if you are hap- if you happen to be a Baptist and you're listening or you're a Presbyterian or a cessationist or an individual who doesn't really have an interrelationship with the Holy Spirit, um, I would say that you definitely need his power. He, he wants to be interpersonal in his existence with you. He doesn't want to be a theology. He doesn't want to be an observer. He doesn't want to be a doctrine <laughs> that's demeaning to who he is. Holy Spirit is God, the Spirit, and he is God in you. Um, Jesus Christ is sitting bodily on a throne in heaven. If God is in you, he, it is God, the Spirit, who lives within you, not God, the Son, and I know that'll mess some of y'all up, but it's, it's actually true. We're inhabited by the Spirit. We're not inhabited by the Son. The Son has a physical body, glorified, yes, but a physical body, and he's sitting in a throne in heaven. So God the Spirit inhabits us, and it's sad to me that um, you know major streams of Christianity do not believe, do not emphasize, do not prioritize the third person of the Trinity who is God living in us. He is God moving in the world today. And the Holy Spirit and a lot of systems of belief in Christianity has been relegated to God who sealed us when we were saved and then who is going to glorify us when we enter heaven. But in between, there's not much going on. And so when I was talking to these men yesterday, um, it was a conference call, and uh, I was just so encouraged because these men are, in my opinion, the evidence of what I've believed for years. What is that belief? that God is going to go hard after the Baptist, that God the Spirit is not content to let the group of Christians called Charismatics um, think that they have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit while the Baptist think they have a a monopoly on theology. And so the Holy Spirit is working um, to bring a unity of word and spirit. If somebody pressed me for an answer, as to what the Lord is proactively doing right now among his people, I could give probably three or four different serious priorities that I believe that the Lord is doing. But somewhere in the top one, two, or three, yeah, no less than third, I would say the Lord is unifying an approach to the kingdom, 
that is grounded in word and spirit. And what I mean by that is that the authority of the scriptures being remarried to the necessity of the Holy Spirit, and in particular, his giftings. Because it's not enough for us to be Holy Spirit people in the absence of scripture, and it's not enough for us to be scriptural people in the absence of the ongoing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm witnessing is a unification. I'm witnessing a renaissance among charismatics who are becoming more theologically concerned about what they believe and what the, why they believe it. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing charismatics coming alive to the word. Um, I have the privilege, obviously, of being a pastor. And one of the things I've seen over the last couple of years is young adults, um, 18 to 25 years old, saying, yeah, we appreciate the Holy Spirit encounters. We love that. We love the gifts of the Spirit. But man, we need some teaching. <laughs> we need to know the whole counsel of God, not just eight or 10 passages about Pentecost and the gifts of the spirit and eschatology. You know, th these young people are wanting to know, how am I going to lead my family when I'm married? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about morality? And how do I live in a culture that is immoral? How do I defend my Christian beliefs when it comes to morality? And all of that comes from the word. Um, and so Charismatic Christians, especially the young ones, are saying we need a renaissance of the word. But what I'm loving, and this is what I want to emphasize in today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits, is that the, um, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the conservative evangelicals, the Methodists, um, are all starting to awaken to their personal need for um, power, the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of church programs, not the power of marketing techniques. Not the power of social media outreach, but I'm talking about Holy Spirit power when nothing else can suffice that they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that involves gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I major on a lot on Mavericks and Misfits. My ministry is to equip and to educate and to exhort. And one of the things I like to exhort people on is their personal need to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And that conviction is not charismatic. That conviction is biblical because we're commanded to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, pursue spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Speaking of words of prophecy, let me give you what I consider to be one of the most interesting uh, prophetic words that I've ever read. And the reason why it's so interesting, the content of what I'm about to read you is good, but what makes it mind-blowing to me is that it came from one of the most famous Baptist and Calvinist who ever lived. Uh, this, this word I'm about to read to you, uh, I'll tell you who said it after I read it, but it comes from one of the most famous Baptist Calvinists who ever lived. And this is what he said. He said this, and I'm quoting here. This is in a sermon from June 17th, 1855. So it's been a minute since this was given, 1855. And here, here's what he said in the sermon. He said this, I quote, another great work of the Holy Spirit, which is not yet accomplished, is the bringing on of the latter day glory. In a few more years, I know not when, I know not how, the Holy Spirit will be poured out in far different style from the present. There are diversities of operations. And during the last few years, it has been the case that the diversified operations have consisted of very little pouring out of the Spirit. Ministers have gone on in dull routine, continually preaching, 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 and little good has been done. I do hope that a fresh era has dawned upon us and that there is a better pouring out of the Spirit even now, for the hour is coming, and it may be even now, 
when the Holy Ghost will be poured out again in such a wonderful manner that many will run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the surface of the great deep, when his kingdom shall come and his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. My eyes flash with the thought that very likely I shall live to see the outpouring of the Spirit when the sons and the daughters of God will prophesy and the young men shall see visions and the old men shall dream dreams. Now, friends, that sounds like a Pentecostal preacher, but it wasn't. You know who said that? It's none other than Charles Spurgeon. And this was from his sermon called The Power of the Holy Spirit. that was preached on June 17, 1855. Charles Spurgeon prophesied um, just about 175 years ago that there would be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in years to come that will change the minds of how people believe the Holy Spirit works. Charles Spurgeon. We're not talking about, you know, some wild-eyed charismatic. We're talking about the prince of preachers that... um, man who loved theology and doctrine, who was a five-point Calvinist and a Baptist and likely never prayed in in tongues in his life, but he prophesied that there would come a day that the Holy Spirit would be outpoured in new ways. That's an inconvenient uh, word that he gave for those that love Spurgeon but hate the modern charismatic movement. My point is this. I think he's right, and I think we're living in it. And I am so encouraged that denominations and individuals and pastors and leaders who have been afraid of the errors that are attached to charismatic movements, and because of that fear, they've chosen not to pursue a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. They've chosen not to consider that the gifts of the Spirit might actually be valid. And the reason why is because they have seen a lot of nonsense coming from the charismatic camp. Can I testify here for a minute? Um, Early on, I was warned about charismatics. I mean, literally within my month of being saved, I was saved in August of 1994. And I remember being given a pamphlet before probably the end of September of 1994. Um, And it was an anti-tongues pamphlet given to me by a Baptist mentor. And he warned me, stay away from the charismatics, stay away from tongues. And then as I heard more and more about the subject as, you know, the years went on, it was always tongues are demonic. Tongues are of the devil. If you speak in tongues, it's because a demon got a hold of your, your, your brain and your heart, your, the muscles in your stomach, the nerves in your stomach that control the tongue. I mean, it was a whole lot of like scary talk about tongues. And so I developed a prejudice against the gift of tongues and I developed a prejudice against charismatics and that only deepened because my exposure to charismatics at that time were people who never preached out of the Bible. They just had, you know, really intense music and then um, they would fall out in the spirit and they would do all these weird things that, you know, shaking and um, laying out on the floor for an hour and babbling in tongues and, you know, Obviously, as a person who was prejudiced against it, that only reinforced my prejudice because I didn't understand any of that. And so I, I developed this attitude that, OK, this stuff is wrong. And then I had a, some really poor theological training 
that taught me, hijacked and cherry-picked a couple of Bible verses to make me believe that tongues had ceased around the end of the first century, which the Bible actually never teaches that. I've done podcasts on that before, so I won't go there today. But um, I got to the place where I was like, okay, this stuff's crazy. But then something happened as I began to tap out all of my own resources, my own human resources. My own disciplines just weren't satisfying me. My own Bible studies just weren't satisfying me. I ate so much preaching spiritually. I would listen to literally dozens of hours of preaching every week. And so I'm growing in knowledge, I'm growing in knowledge, and I'm growing in knowledge, but I'm not growing in joy. I'm not growing in peace. I'm not growing in power. Um, People were sick. We'd pray for them, but then we'd step back and say, well, if God wants to heal them, God wants to heal them. And so we would just assign no breakthrough to the, we'd just say, well, that's just the sovereign plan of God. God sovereignly doesn't want this person to get breakthrough. Otherwise he'd heal them. And it, you know, just all of this stuff started compounding in me. And I got to the point, I was like, man, I've got like a straw man theology and I, I don't have any of the power of God. The only time I experienced the power of God was basically preaching. Um, private prayer was very disciplined, but it had no power. There was um, wisdom being given through the scriptures, but everything, everything had to happen in the context of the Bible. And in other words, I had to be reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, memorizing the Bible, um, witnessing with the Bible in order to really sense the presence of God. So if I didn't have my Bible open, I didn't, I didn't feel the presence of God. And that began to really bother my soul. And then I was around people that would talk to me about the gifts of the spirit and they weren't weird. They were Bible people too. And I started realizing not every charismatic can just be dismissed because of their, you know, eccentric ways. And so I really got in this place. I said, saying, Lord, I need to know what your word says. And so I began a journey in studying just the scriptures because I was a sola scriptura guy. I have such high regard for the scriptures. I thought, well, the Bible will give me everything that pertains to life and godliness. So let the Bible define my beliefs about the gifts of the spirit. And let my Bible show me what it looks like when the Holy Spirit moves. And so I studied both Old and New Testament. I studied all the examples where the Spirit of God was said to have either fallen on somebody or to come upon somebody. I studied Pentecost. I studied the chapters, um, you know, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. I started reading uh, what I considered well-balanced theological books about the gifts of the Spirit. And I came to the immediate conclusion, it wasn't even difficult, that in no way does the Bible teach anywhere that the gifts of the Spirit stopped at the end of the first century. Sadly, up to that point, I'd spent years as a believer believing that the gifts of the Spirit weren't even available anymore. And what's interesting, it was so inconsistent. And if you are a Baptist or you are a cessationist or you're you know, an individual, an evangelical who doesn't believe in the gifts and you believe that the gifts stopped, my, my, my commitment is this. Um, I'll, I'll sit down and listen to anything you have to say. But you're going to have to show me in the scripture where it says that it stopped at the end of the first century because that's what cessationists believe. Cessationists believe the gifts stopped at the end of the first century. But the Bible never says that happened. Never says it. It just says that the gifts will cease. It says they'll cease one day. And then it goes on in 1 Corinthians to tell us when that takes place. And so if you study out 1 Corinthians 12 and you realize that the gifts do cease, do you know when they cease? When Jesus returns. That's what the scriptures actually teach. And nobody, nobody ever bothered to really examine those verses, and it's right there. And so when I came to the conclusion that the gifts had never ceased, that means the gifts are still available. 
That means everything that is taught in the word of God about the gifts is still pertinent to Christians living in this day. And then I started seeing the command to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I saw the negative command, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So right away I was convicted. I had to repent because I had spent my entire Baptist life forbidding people from speaking in tongues, saying it was wrong. It was unbiblical. It was demonic. And then also saying that there's no need to pursue the gifts because they're dead. They stopped at the end of the first century. And now all of that's been replaced by the Bible. And it's so crazy to me looking back on it. I'm not, I like, I feel sorry for that young Jeff Lyle because I wasted a lot of years believing a lie. And though God did many great things because we were sincere, we were walking in holiness, we were disciplined about the word, we loved people. It wasn't that we were, you know, anti-God. It was just that when you believe a lie, you're bound to that lie. And when you believe a lie, you're going to live out, you know, the, the ramifications of that lie you've believed. And so if you don't believe the gifts are real, you're not going to operate in the gifts. You're, if you're not going to pursue them, definitely, if you don't believe they're real. And so when the light bulb went off and the Holy Spirit illuminated me to the fact that the gifts were operative and real, um, I started saying, okay, I'm theologically shifting. But then it took another probably year and a half before I ever experienced the fullness of the gifts. And it came to me through a sovereign baptism of the Spirit in February of 2003, four months after I became the lead pastor of our church. And I was sovereignly baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of that's in my book, by the way, if you want to get a copy of my book, figuring it out as I go, I go into great detail about that. The reality was, is, is that the gifts started appearing in my life after I, I repented of the believing the lie that they were no longer available. Some of you guys listening, maybe in the camp that says, well, if God wants me to have the gifts, he'll give them to me. And I don't, I don't really care. I've made it this far without them. What you don't understand, it's like the difference between running a marathon and a pair of flip-flops versus a pair of, you know, professional running shoes that are made for the athlete's foot. Yeah, you can finish a marathon in a flip-flop, but you won't win. And, um, you know, those things weren't really made for the long-distance endurance. And granted, uh, we never want to lose our commitment to the Scriptures, but you need to, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you that. And the power of the Holy Spirit, until you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't know how long you've lacked the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a lot of crutches. And some of you are disciplined. Some of you are mentally tough. Some of you are strong. Some of you are robust in the word. And I applaud all of that. That's great. That is fantastic. But because the Lord loves you, he's going to put you in situations where you're going to come to the end of yourself because God never wants you to trust in your disciplines. He never wants you to trust in your theology, your training, your education. He doesn't want you to trust in that because all of those things are, are things that come from him, but they are not him. You know, when the prophet Zechariah said, or God said through the prophet Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that's still binding. God doesn't want your might. God doesn't want your power. God wants you to learn how to interact with the Holy Spirit. And you have to get to that place of desperation and hunger where nothing you've done up to this point will suffice in your soul. And you've got to get to the place where um, you're, you're so broken before the Lord. And that's really what I want to point you to as I'm wrapping up today. You've got to get to the place where you repent of your self, self-reliance. You have to do repent of your self-reliance. By the way, this is for all of us, not just uh, people that don't believe in the gifts. Um, because some of you believe in the gifts to the extent where, you know, as long as you're praying in tongues, you think you're walking in the will of the Lord, but you haven't opened your Bible in a week. 
it, listen, it's not either or. It is and both. You have to have the word of God in you. Not because it's a legalistic checklist, but because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. That's just, that's it right there. Your faith can't be abstract. It has to be concrete. You have to believe something. You have to believe truth. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he was telling them how to think. And he said, he started the list with whatever things are true. And you can't know truth apart from the word of God. And so, listen, the enemy can counterfeit gifts. The enemy can counterfeit supernatural experience. The enemy can counterfeit anything. I mean, the enemy, that's all he does. He doesn't have originality. He just counterfeits what God does. And so if you're not in the word, you're not going to have the discernment to know whether a supernatural encounter is of God or is of the devil. And so you have to be in the word and then people that are in the word have to have the Holy Spirit. And I only mean that. And it's not, I'm not talking about the salvific nature of the Holy Spirit when he seals every person that repents of their sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. In that sense, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8. If, if a person does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. So everyone that belongs to God has the Holy Spirit, but that's, there's a vast difference between the Holy Spirit abiding you as one who seals you until the day of redemption versus the Holy Spirit who rules your human spirit and is filling you and empowering you and using you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being filled. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit. I'm talking about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians 1.17, operating in you. I'm talking about the spirit of God. If those who walk in the spirit do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some of you can't get over your flesh because you're not walking in the spirit. You don't, you don't Bible study your way out of a stronghold. You don't. Listen, I, I know some great men who love the word of God, but they continually struggle with lust. And they struggle with even pornography. And you know why? Because you can't read six verses and get free from pornography. It takes a power encounter. You, you, you get delivered from that stuff. You can't counsel a demon out of somebody. It has to be power. The kingdom of God is not in word only, but is in power. And the enemy laughs at our little Bible studies because all they do is, you know, if, if they don't, aren't accompanied with a life of, of power from the Holy Spirit, um, all, they, all the Bible does is stimulate our mind apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the scriptures have power when they are believed and received, but the life, the outflow of what you believe and what you've received from the scriptures has to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. So I meet people all the time and they're like, I don't know why so-and-so in my church just can't get over the hump. You know, the dude is drinks all the time or the lady is compulsively shopping all the time or she's a gossip and I, we've counseled their family. I just don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, yeah, because the, the demonic power inside of a person does not bow to our, our Bible verses if they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so people like that don't need another sermon. People like that need a power encounter where the delivering power of the Holy Spirit sets them free from the demonic power that they've agreed with. So when I'm thinking of the end of the age and I'm thinking what Charles Spurgeon prophesied in 1855, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you right now, that time is here. This is the day of the outpouring. I plead with my Baptist friends, my Presbyterian friends, my Bible cessationist friends. I plead with you. And I want to say something before I make this plea. Yes, the charismatic movement has been deeply flawed. There are abuses with the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to own that on behalf of all charismatics. 
I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying, hey, it's no big deal. It's a very big deal. And if you're a charismatic Christian, you need to recognize that some of the nonsense that's happened and some of the sloppy prophetic and some of the over-the-top crazy stuff that has been seen, unfortunately, online and social media, it's fuel for the cessationist fire. So I want to apologize on behalf of that. But I'm also saying this. The abuse of a belief or the abuse of a gift does not invalidate it. It's the proper use of that gift that we need to go. We need to go to. We need to properly use the gifts. Do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because a system of belief is abused doesn't mean that it's invalid. It just means they abused it. And so I repent on behalf of all charismatics to those of you that have seen the abuse. And then I make appeal, like because I used to be in your camp. I used to be a Baptist who couldn't stand the charismatic movement. I appeal to you. You're, you're shortchanging yourself. You're missing what God has for you. When you blow off the Bible, the Bible tells you earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That is the Bible. That is the word of God that you believe, that you revere. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that that is no longer binding. I challenge you, show me in the scriptures where it says the gifts have stopped. And when you can't find anywhere in the scripture that says the gifts have stopped, then you got to ask yourself, why am I not walking in them? Why am I not pursuing them? Why do I blow off the need to pray in tongues, which Jude verse 20 says that the person that prays in the spirit builds up himself in his most holy faith. And so we have so much to talk about in this area. But today my appeal is to all of you to say, let's be Bible people. Let's be Holy Spirit people. Let's go after word and spirit together for the glory of Jesus. Let's make a difference. Let's not be constrained by our denominational standards. If you're young, I pray that you'll listen to this because your father and your grandfather's generation didn't listen to this and they missed it. They did a lot of good stuff, but they did it without the power of the Holy Spirit in the very unique ways that he wants to empower the church and you can be the difference maker in your generation. So my time's gone today. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Check out the umbrella website of transformingtruth.org. That's where we post a lot of our teaching, a lot of our videos. Pray for me. We're getting cranked back up with filming in a couple of weeks at my new church at the church at Winder. We'll be putting those out on Transforming Truth's media streams. I appreciate those of you that watch and been patient while we've gotten the studios and the platform and all the stuff at the church fixed and getting ready for filming and uh, just pray for us. I'm ready to get back on the air. And in the meantime, Transforming Truth will uh, continue to uh, broadcast on TV some stuff we've done in the past and Fabrics and Misfits will be fresh every week. And uh, listen, my time's gone. God bless you. Press in for word and spirit. God never meant for the church to have to pick between those two things. Word and spirit, spirit and word. This is the will of God for us all. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.